Greetings and welcome to Surf's Up, a Beach Boys podcast safari. My name is Mark Dillon, author of 50 Sides of the Beach Boys, and I am joined today, as always, by my stalwart partner, Phil Migliorati. Phil, how are you doing today? Good, Mark. Good to be with you and talk about an experience we had a few days ago. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so lately we've tended to have guests on our show, um, but this time it's just Phil and me. Uh, we were fortunate enough to participate in a press screening for the new and long-awaited documentary, Brian Wilson, Long Promise Road, which is debuting at the Tribeca Film Festival. And we were also in on a Zoom press conference uh, featuring the director of that film, Brent Wilson, who, by the way, is no relation to the Beach Boys Wilsons, uh, Jason Fine from Rolling Stone, who hangs out and chats with Brian throughout the film, and Brian himself. So that was very exciting. Uh, so we wanted to come out with our review of all this in time for the film's premiere uh, on June 15th. And we've been in touch with Brent Wilson, who uh, who's going to come on our show, he says, when the movie's distribution future is settled because they're looking for uh, distribution sales at Tribeca. So more to come on that. Um, but just to fill people in who might not know about this, uh, this movie, uh, it's a documentary structured really around the friendship between Brian and Jason Fine. Jason Fine has been covering... Uh, Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys for Rolling Stone for uh, for decades now. Uh, and in this film, he drives around L.A. with Brian. They go to a lot of Brian's old haunts and particularly his favorite restaurant, the Beverly Glen Deli. Uh, and Jason tries to get Brian to open up about his life. And he succeeds to uh, to great effect, I thought. And this is intercut with archival footage, some of which I must say I was not familiar with, uh, as well as interviews about Brian's influence from a very impressive group of talking heads, including Bruce Springsteen, Elton John, chart-topping songwriter Linda Perry, Jim James from My Morning Jacket, Nick Jonas, Taylor Hawkins from The Foo Fighters, Jacob Dylan, producer Don Was, and Steve Page uh, from Bare Naked Ladies. So I would say that this is a film that could serve as a good introduction to Brian for those who don't understand why he's constantly being labeled a genius by critics and fellow musicians. Uh, and I think the hardcore fans will appreciate it because it's a very intimate look at Brian as he is today. Uh, and also, you know, the film references some of the more obscure parts of the Beach Boys catalog, which, uh, which I think the hardcore fans uh, will find very interesting. Uh, I know that you've organized your thoughts about the film around some song titles. So why don't you share that with us and we can go from there. Yeah, as I was starting to take some notes and kind of cluster them together with specific thoughts or focus of, you know, what was this experience all about for me? Um, I started connecting them with some Beach Boy, Brian Wilson songs, no big surprise. And so I've kind of, not that we'll go through this whole list, but I've kind of uh, called this my nominations for the Long Promised Road soundtrack. I know that there's going to be a soundtrack that will come out, I'm sure. And uh, maybe half of the ones I've got here, they wouldn't even consider. But this works for me to kind of cluster my thoughts. And the place I think I'd start which kind of came a little afterwards was the song Friends, a great Beach Boy song uh, from a great Beach Boy album. But the reason I, I put, put that up first is, uh, and you've mentioned it, uh, Mark, that Brian uh, has this friendship with Jason Fine of Rolling Stone. And uh, because of their friendship, everything 
that is in Long Promised Road or Long Promised Road itself, the documentary became possible. Without that kind of friendship, there would not have been the trust that Brian gave to Jason to put together uh, what uh, Brent Wilson has uh, put together here for us. And so it's a, it's a great documentary. And I, I like how you said that it's both for, you know, maybe just uh, an average fan who wants to know a little bit more about Brian Wilson to the hardcore fan who isn't going to necessarily hear a lot of brand new, never heard before type things, but is going to see Brian. Uh, I think all of us would like to have a, a sit down with Brian. We'd like to, uh, and th this is my second song, uh, be, you know, his song in my car uh, from the still cruising album. Uh, we'd all like to be in a car with Brian Wilson, even just in the backseat, listening to him talk to somebody else. So, Friends made this possible, and I think that's that that's a thread that goes through this thing. It's uh, Jason certainly as a professional and uh, as a, you know professional objectivity and all that, but he was just it was just two guys. My my take two guys because of their friendship uh, taking some road trips around Southern California spots that meant a lot to Brian in the milestone history of the Beach Boys. Um, they mentioned, uh, the, thinking of the song In My Car, that there were 70 hours of uh, uh, videoing that they took and had to bring this down to you know less than two hours, an hour and 30 or something like that. And someone on the press, in the press conference time, the Zoom call, asked if we would ever see any of that stuff. And it seemed like that's something they're considering. I don't know if you heard that differently, uh, Mark, but it would be great to see some of those other hours of, of, uh, of video. To me, they were simple. It's just two guys, two friends in a car. Um, uh, they, they said that on the 70 hours, there's a lot of silence uh, and maybe long segments of silence, not that they would uh, put that out and we'd just watch Brian for 30 minutes you know, in the passenger seat. But to me, they also became poignant uh, kinds of things. Something as simple as, uh, as these two friends are in his car. Uh, hey, what are you having for lunch? Well, I'm gonna have a Cobb salad. Okay, get me one too, that, that kind of thing. Uh, just seeing Brian, to me, uh, Brian became very uh, real, very vulnerable. We know that he has struggled with all sorts of uh, issues that, uh, you know, the, the, the heroes who became villains in his life. And we care about that. And for me, it was a time of, in one way, almost, and I hope this doesn't sound condescending because, you know, he's met me a few times, but he doesn't know or think or remember me, but it's almost like I can breathe a little sigh of relief for Brian. He, he looked healthy and uh, he was interacting. And, and another song that what I would be considering for this is not so much a song, but the, the smile album, just the, the humor, uh, the, the, the smile of smile, the, the vis, visible smile of smile uh, came across as uh, there was one scene where they're in a parking lot and Brian, Jason or Brian sees a, an old vintage, maybe it was a Cadillac. And, and uh, what, what year was that? And, and Brian says, ask that guy. And Jason wasn't about to yell out his window to ask that guy. So Brian did. Hey, buddy, what year is that car? Uh, just a moment where two guys would normally do that kind of stuff. And yet it's on video and it's Brian Wilson. And it was just kind of cool to see that. So friends in my car smile of it's not a single, but you know, that album, uh, those are a couple of lead off 
nominations for me for Long Promised Road soundtrack. Well, yeah, I mean, let's uh, let's give kudos to Jason Fine for 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 what he did for getting to draw for drawing Brian out of himself because that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, you said earlier we'd all like to you know drive around with Brian Wilson. But I mean, for, for those who have interviewed Brian in, in recent years, it's hard. It's hard. You know, if you can keep Brian on the phone for seven, more than seven or nine minutes, you've done something because he doesn't like doing interviews. He wants, I mean, he'll do them, but he wants to get off the phone. You know, he shuts down a lot. He doesn't want to like get into things in, in a big way. So it's a challenge. And on that Zoom call, that press conference, Brent Wilson was saying, really, without Jason Fine, there's no movie here because they started, and, and Brent can elaborate on this when he's on our show, but he was saying that he started to film this just sort of him interviewing Brian, and he said it did not go well. The first two interviews did not go well. He was not getting anything. So I think it was uh, Gene Sievers, Brian's manager, who suggested getting Jason involved. I mean, Jason has been writing stories about driving around LA with Brian Wilson for years. I remember reading these stories um, in Rolling Stone and it, it was, yeah. it was cool. It was cool to read these stories about what it would be like to, to drive around with, uh, with Brian Wilson. I think sometimes Brian was in the driver's seat, which is a bit uh, conservative. Oh, that's it. I didn't know that. <laughs> I think so. But anyway, um, and so Gene suggested bringing Jason in and, and, and that was a really, uh, that saved the film really, because uh, yeah. I don't think there are many people that could get Brian to uh, open up as, as he does sometimes in this documentary. Yeah. Well, and for those who will see this, have not yet seen it and will see it, you realize it, it, it's not an interview in a car. It's friends in a car talking about things that Beach Boy fans would be interested in. Um, at one point, and they also, maybe you can explain this better, but uh, uh, Jason had, whether it's his iPod or he, uh, you know, uploaded tracks to uh, uh, the computer in the car, uh, Brian would ask for a song and he'd quickly find it. And so at one point, uh, I think it was Brian said, hey, play Long Promise Road. And they began to talk a little bit about it. And at some point, um, Jason says, well, Jack Riley died, the what the Carla Wilson, Jack Riley wrote the song and he said what he thought was just common knowledge that, you know, Jack Riley had died. And Brian, you could, for me, it was like a, a stunning moment for him. Like, what? He didn't say what, but that's the kind of look on his face. Jack Riley died. He did say that. How do you know that? What did he die of? And it just moved from kind of casually driving down the road to suddenly uh, this, I think, struck Brian real deeply. And this is not something that would ever come out in an interview, even if Brian felt very cooperative. Uh, another scene, and I'll just quit with this, but another scene uh, later on, I think maybe it was when he's, when Jason said, okay, I'll go in and get those Cobb salads or whatever the situation was. And he was alone in the car. Well, of course the cameras are st still uh, rolling and you could just see some tears coming down his face. And I think that may have been after the revelation to him that uh, Jack Riley had died. Uh, just a, a poignant moment. Uh, here's a, you know, a big guy, <laughs> genius songwriter, all these amazing uh, musicians, rock and roll people are extolling who he is. And he's sitting in the passenger seat, tearing up because someone he had worked with now decades ago had uh, passed away and he didn't know about it. So I wonder about that. I mean, First of all, we have to mention that this movie was shot several years ago. 
uh, and has gone through a long gestation process and, and delays and such. Uh, so I don't know exactly when this was filmed. Uh, Jack Riley died six years ago. Um, and in the movie, they make it seem like it had been a couple of years since Jack Riley died. I mean, do you really think nobody had told Brian that Jack Riley had died? I found that a little bit surprising. I, I wouldn't doubt that. Yeah. And there's another one of those that I'm not trying to get off your point, but there's another one of those the same when, uh, and one of, uh, one of my other nominations would be Pacific Ocean Blue by Dennis, because at some point uh, they're talking about that album and uh, he says he's never heard that album. He's never heard, heard Dennis's album. And my take, I'm no psychiatrist, but I believe that, that Brian meant that. But could it, is it possible that he never heard that album before? So same thing with what you're saying here about Jack Riley. Yeah. And, and just uh, just to let people know who might not know, Jack Riley, yeah, he was the Beach Boys manager, uh, joined them 1970, and, and he was there until uh, the Holland Project, which, which he initiated, uh, and then he was, he was fired. Uh, but he was also, uh, you know, an important songwriting collaborator with uh, the Wilson brothers. Like he really strongly believed in the talents of the Wilson brothers in particular and, and co-wrote with, uh, with each of them quite memorably, I, I would say. Um, and I, yeah, he's, I think one of the biggest mystery figures <laughs> yes. in the whole Beach Boys story. And I regret not trying very hard to interview him for my book. Uh, he didn't do a lot of interviews. He did one for Billy Hinchy. Uh, you know, who has done yes. some, some homemade documentaries uh, himself. And uh, Jack did an interview, uh, I believe, for one of those. And that was very interesting to hear Jack reflecting on the Beach Boys after all these years. So I never really fully understood, you know, what relationship Brian might have had about Jack Riley. But as you say, I mean, we see him tearing up. It seemed like, you know, he did have he did have some fond memories uh, yeah. of Jack. Now, to your point about Pacific Ocean Blue, yes, that that was a red flag for me as well. Is it possible that Brian never heard Pacific Ocean Blue? I remember reading a story circa 1977, you know, when uh, I think Dennis was playing this new album of his, and uh, or maybe it was a brother studio when he was like playing back some of the tracks, and Brian yes. was there, and he's like, I can't deal with this. Like, I can't deal with this. And like, I think he was so amazed at how his brother's talent had, had matured. And there, there's this fully formed great album, you know, that Dennis had done and, and, and it blew Brian away. And it, it, it was just too much for him to, to, to even fathom. So he, uh, he walked out of the room. So he's always seemed to have some aversion to accepting it. I don't know, but uh, you know, there, there were interviews, I think, when Pacific Ocean Blue was reissued a number of years ago, and I think Brian commented on it. So has he never heard the album? I don't know. Maybe he doesn't remember hearing the album, but he did, he did say he remembered the song You and I, so who knows? Yeah, hard, hard to know. I, I don't think he's lying. I, it may just be that uh, a memory. memory of listening to it. Yeah. yeah, and I can identify with that. Well, you had a song that you mentioned uh, would fit here in some kind of soundtrack that was not necessarily included in the... Uh, documentary i don't remember what that was phil please help me out well it was uh on a drive going for a couple miles and you'll see a sign and turn left oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah one one of the neatest moments uh in, in this documentary um jason fine brings it up he said brian you wrote a song called busy doing nothing which basically told people how to get to your house 
like, <laughs> why did you why did you do that? You know, I mean, you wouldn't do that today, I think, in this sort of high security world that we live in. But uh, things were a lot more open, I guess, uh, in 1968. So, yes. Uh, and and so very cleverly, um, they recreate that route. They follow Brian's vocal instructions uh, to get to, to the old house that he lived in back then. So uh, I, I thought that was a that was neat. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, and what they did, they they sped up the the the, the video, the film, uh, so that if you were uh, really trying to get landmarks, uh, pretty hard to do. It, you know, it took like four seconds to get to the house from the first turn. But it was kind of fun to see that. Uh, I pulled the lyrics on it, and what jumped out at me was, yeah, obviously the directions, the white fence, bumpy road. I mean, you know, I think very creative, very creative song. I love the song musically as well but the, the words come right in like when you, you get there come right in um I, I mean brian didn't want hundreds of people coming right in but it's just an interesting thing about this person who gives one word answers to you know huge interview questions i think there's a desire in him that he just maybe can't always uh, fight through to to have people around uh friends around uh there was a uh statement somewhere and i'm not always sure where to connect these with the, the flow of the documentary but he said uh, uh i haven't had a friend to talk to in three years um now i hope jason wasn't offended by that because you know they're doing it because they're friends but it just struck me yeah that uh, that, that happens when uh, they're at the beverly glen deli and that's right. uh, and I, I think the waiter, maybe who's a manager, said, uh, "We've got it, we've got it." And uh, and Brian's like, "Oh my gosh, I just scored a new friend," you know? Yeah, yeah. I think but Brian I think says a lot of stuff that you have to take with a huge grain of salt. And and you know, not only is Jason obviously his friend, but he's got he's got friends like Danny Hutton and then people that David yeah. Leaf, you know, he's got friends. But I think so in the moment, sometimes when he says those things, it's that's a feeling that's real for him in that moment, even though you're right. Look at all these people around you that, that are friends. Um, but I just I just like this thing of, of of his in effect saying, you know, come see me, come say hello. And it's just a song. I realize that. But uh, he also made a statement around that time in the film where he was talking about being in the bedroom. Uh and he said something I hadn't heard him say before. He says, I was kind of lonesome. Everybody uh, talks about that as uh, maybe a, a, a psychological kind of thing. And I'm sure that that was there or uh, disappointments, uh, the music industry, you know, career, the, the psyche type stuff. And maybe he's giving us a glimpse into another part of it is just feeling kind of lonesome. He's with so many people uh, yet in that moment anyway, feeling lonesome. One more quote to Elton John says that one of the most moving nights of my life was at Brian's house. And so here's a friend, a uh, rock and roll friend, at least, uh, you know, being together, uh, him enjoying it. And yet uh, maybe for Brian, he sees a lot of that time as just being lonesome in his bed. Yeah. I mean, we'll never know how much of his life, was actually spent in bed. I mean, you know, yeah, it, it seems to have covered a, a period of, of a couple of years. Um, you know, in, in the documentary, Brian's like, no, no, I didn't stay in bed for a couple of weeks. I stayed in bed for a couple of weeks, you know? Right. So, I heard that. <laughs> you know, let, let's not downplay, um, you know, the, the depression that the, the Brian went through, but you know, there were, there were friends, uh, 
in that era, genuine friends, not, not just hangers on and moochers, although there were some of those. Um, but John Sebastian of the love and spoonful told me he would come and visit Brian in those years. And he said, it wasn't all darkness and gloom. And I think also John's brother, Mark Sebastian was a friend of Brian's. I mean, that, that's just one example, but, uh, you know, yeah. it's interesting. Brian mentions, um, Sly Stone in the, uh, in the film too, as somebody that used to come to his house and hang out and that kind of blue Jason finds mine. But I mean, <laughs> I think there's a darker part of that story as well, because I don't know if you remember this, but in the 1980s, uh, Rolling Stone, probably before Jason Feinstein wrote a piece about Brian and, and maybe they said something controversial that Carl took offense to. And he wrote a letter that was published in the magazine. And it was just saying how many people were taking advantage of Brian. And, and he, he cited, uh, Sly Stone, who, as we know, genius talent, but had an unfortunate drug problem um, and apparently sponged a, a lot, a lot of money off Brian uh, for drugs. So but Brian seemed to only have fond memories of, of Sly Stone and, and what a great talent that uh, that he was. Um, another that's not a song, it'd be an album, the In Concert album. Uh, I forget who said it must have been Jason, I guess, but uh, I don't know, this might have been in the press conference. So anyway, 180 concerts in two years. I forget, I'm not sure what two-year span that was recently, but Brian doing 180 concerts, solo, you know, his solo one of his band, uh, more than any other time in his life. And it kind of struck me that, uh, you know, this really is, uh, I think at one point they called it chapter three. Um, I mean, he has a solo career that many people could not match. Forget if if... if none of the Beach Boys songs <laughs> had survived or been written at all. His solo career is uh, amazing uh, all by itself. And yet, uh, I'll throw one more in and you respond, but uh, Jason asked him, well, how long does it take you to calm down before a concert? Because Brian talks about being nervous a lot. And uh, I think this is another humor statement. He kind of says, well, uh, about two minutes, you know, and once he's in, he's, uh, he's there and he's uh, looking happy and having a good time. But I just thought that was amazing. 180 concerts in two years. Yeah. I mean, you wonder how much he he actually enjoys it. I guess it's he's ambivalent about it. But I mean, I'll just say from being backstage with the group uh, for the 2012 50th anniversary. And I tell you, one of the one of the great moments of my life, really, because I was backstage there and, and I looked out. This was uh, here in Toronto at uh, Molson Amphitheater and, and Ontario Place down by the, the waterfront. And uh, there was a patio connected to the, the sort of backstage area, an outdoor patio. And, and there was the great Brian Wilson all by himself, you know, <laughs> sitting at a table, having his dinner before the show all by himself. So I'm like, I'd be pretty stupid if I did not walk up to him in this moment, because this was this was the time when I was presenting the band who had all, you know, participated in my book. This was the time I was presenting the book to, ah. to, to each of them. So it was a yeah. pretty, pretty big moment for me. And so I, I, I walked up to Brian and, and, and I just handed him a copy of the book. And I, I, and I just said, Brian, like, I just want you to know that, you know, I, I, I wrote this book out of love for, for your music. And, uh, you know, he took the book and he looked at it and, and he signed it, but, but boy, was he nervous, like, you know, in, yeah. in anticipation of the show that was to come, like his hand was shaking. Like I, I felt, I felt bad for him like, after all these years, like you could tell it's still, 
a challenge for him. I think he likes to overcome challenges. I think he's been sort of trained to, you know, if something is impeding you, you've got to do it. You don't like doing interviews, do them. You don't like doing concerts, do them. You know, that's, I think that's the way he's been operating for a long time. Now. Well, we're playing with Brian's head. Maybe that's unfair, but you know, we love him and the, the music and the beach boys. And that's at least for you and I, that's what we like talking about. Anybody listening, I guess would enjoy it as well. But I wonder if that's something Landy, uh, uh, you know, every villain is a hero and every most of their heroes are villains at some point. I wonder if that's something Landy poured into him that actually got him, you know, exercising, eating healthy, not taking drugs. You know, that that part is unmistakable that he uh, saved his life. Yeah, that's yeah. just the common sense stuff. And I mean, you know, he's got people in his life now that that would you know, adhere to that common sense uh, approach as well, but who are not sort of manipulating him in, in, in the ways that Landy was. And, and maybe I should soften my earlier statement. Like I shouldn't say Brian doesn't necessarily like to do concerts. I, I should just say that it's, it's a bit challenging. That's all. Yeah. I, um, I'm looking for this uh, statement that when you said a bit challenging, uh, I think Jason said to him something like, well, you looked happy at the smile concert. Uh, when he was debuting the, the whole Smile album, he says it was a big challenge because some of that stuff is pretty complicated. Uh, kind of an understatement about the music, but also an understatement about him as a person uh, and being uh, challenged uh, relationally. So uh, in yeah. concert would be one. Go ahead. Yeah, just uh, the Smile thing. Yes, he was... Uh, he he was really like putting out his best during that tour as far as I can remember. I mean, and why not? I mean, he must've been so proud. He was so proud of the fact that this album that had been this kind of albatross because he had not finished it. And it was, you know, mostly myth and not reality. He must have been so proud to, to, to have finished it and done so well and gotten so many good reviews. And and he wanted to really sell it at the shows. And and I saw him at Massey hall. I had second row seats and, uh, I remember this, like it's so close. You could really see Brian and and see what was going on. So, you know, when a number would stop and the lights would go down, I could hear Brian talking to himself, giving himself a pep talk in that moment when the lights were down saying, okay, smile. Like I swear I heard him say that, you know, and then when the lights would come back on, he would be smiling and he he looked great and he was very engaged. And uh, that's something that I'll never forget. I'm not sure who it was, Don, was maybe, but uh, the statement, uh, the most famous unreleased album of all time. Um, It's bigger than life. And it's amazing that he was able to put life back together with the help of a lot of his bandmates and uh, his wife and uh, give us uh, great music. So I I remember Don was once told me that he became so obsessed with the smile bootlegs before any of this had come out officially at the time he was uh, producing an album for the knack, I believe it was. And, and he admits that he was so like obsessed, like with the smile bootlegs that maybe he didn't do the best possible job he could have on the knack uh, album. But... <laughs> he gave some great quotes. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you, Phil, you know, if, if you could point out like the most magical moment in, in this film for you, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and give you mine because we're talking about Don was that moment where Don was. And so, you know, 
for those who don't know, Don was, of course, did his own documentary about Brian, uh, yeah. which really gave a lot of insight into where Brian was in the 1990s. I just wasn't made for these times. Uh, and there was an album recorded where Brian did sort of stripped down versions of, uh, of a lot of his great songs. And Don was had been involved with the Beach Boys after that time uh, with hopes of a, of a reunion album. And they, they recorded a couple of songs, Soul Searching and uh, You're Still a Mystery, which I think are great songs. It's unfortunate that they didn't continue in that, uh, in that direction. But anyway, in, in the documentary, uh, you've got Don uh, at the control board and he is separating the vocals from God Only Knows. And it's just, I mean, we've heard it all before, but to hear it like all separated like that, all the different parts... Uh, and, and, and he's, he's almost speechless. He's like, yes. I've been producing for 40 years or whatever it is. And I don't know how to do that. And, and that's, that's all he could say to me, that was the magic moment. So I'm wondering if, if you could choose. Oh, that, let me, well, that's one of uh, the quote that I've made records for 40 years and I do not know how to do this. Nobody does. And then a few moments later, I think it was in that same, uh, clip he's listening to the, uh, Pet sounds the uh, the instrumental track, and he just kind of is looking dumbfounded and said, listening to the sound, saying that's a banjo. It's, it was as if somebody he asked somebody, well, what what instrument is that? It's a banjo. What that's I, I a think banjo. That was, I think that was in God Only Knows. Actually, might have been. Okay, um, yeah. So that was uh, amazing to me. That statement he made a couple others that I, I thought were uh, just powerful uh, affirmations of uh, yeah he said i don't know what that is but it sounds great <laughs> yes uh, another one he says uh, brian is one of the greatest artists that has walked the face of the earth in our time or any time uh you know uh, he's not the only greatest one but it, that, that's just a uh, tremendous statement of somebody who knows him and as you say has recorded him and um and even listened to his bootlegs so that, that was uh, some amazing stuff listening to those. And one of the songs that I picked for uh, this, you know, mythical soundtrack of mine is I guess I just wasn't made for these times. And then juxtaposing that with all of these quotes, we've just given some, some Elton John quotes, Bruce Springsteen, uh, awestruck was one of his, his quotes. Uh, uh, I played their songs a thousand times, you said at one point. One yeah, he, he also, um, sorry to cut. No, you no, there. go ahead. I, I just wanted to say, I mean, I mean, I love Bruce Springsteen. Like Bruce Springsteen is, you know, an American icon like Brian is. And, and so it's great to hear him talking about Brian. And uh, yeah. he, he mentioned In My Room as a song. He said when that song came out, that one really moved him. Uh, he mentioned Caroline. No, he said something to the effect like, you know, maybe the best song ever written about the loss of innocence, you know, so he seems to gravitate towards those those sad introspective Brian songs. So I, I thought that was very interesting because I haven't heard Bruce uh, talk much about that kind of stuff. Yeah, you got those quote rights, um, quotes right, because uh, I had a, uh, put them down. Uh, the reason I put this this and other quotes with I guess I just wasn't made for these times is to say, maybe, maybe not. You, maybe you felt that way, but look at what your peers have said about you and what you have done, uh, what you've turned out. Another uh, Don was quote is uh, oh, I can't find it here right away, but he, he was talking about one of the songs that uh, uh, he watched Brian play the keyboard, play it on the keyboard and this shows how little I know about music, but 
his point was not so much, wow, what great notes he put together or chords, but he was doing it on the basis of the, the geometry of how his fingers looked or, or moved on, on the keyboard. And it's, <laughs> it still came out as a great sound. Um, so there's just a number of statements throughout this uh, documentary that might say, Brian, you may have felt like you weren't made for these times, but look at the comments. Just one more I'll give you, Elton John. He says he's just a California guy who likes to make music and be with his family. Uh, he doesn't deserve accolades about his music. And when you first hear that, you think, wait a minute, is he going to get slammed here by Elton? But he says he doesn't deserve accolades about his music. He deserves accolades for his personal life. The idea of what he has struggled with and survived and is even thriving in. So, uh, he, he was made for our times, at least as far as we're concerned. Who'd have thought that, you know, Brian would, would, would be with us and, and having done so much in the last 20 years, it is quite remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe just one more song uh, as we, and you, you may have several others, but uh, one that we asked me my opinion, my, my comment on, I think what happened to me with this experience of watching what took place on this documentary was uh, I'll never be able to listen to Long Promised Road the same way again. It was always uh, a cool song from the 70s when Jack Riley helped them become an FM band rather than just AM. It was a Carl song, Carl and Jack, you know, writing it. Uh, it I just always associated it with Carl, which is fine, but I, I never personalized it beyond identifying it with, with them and the writers and the time. But as I'm watching this, it answered my question of why are they calling this? When I first heard this documentary was coming out, it was called Long Promise Road. And I'm like, don't you guys know the Beach Boys? That's not, every song is a Brian song, but there's other songs that Brian is are autobiographical of him, not, not this one. Well, I've changed my mind. This is a biography of, of Brian, just as you, if you go back and listen to the words about the struggle of the journey of the, the narrator, the singer of Long Promise Road, uh, this is Brian. And another song that that, uh, that led up to just this other song uh, that is changed in my thinking, uh, it, it, the one, It's Okay. Uh, it's played twice uh, in, in the uh, documentary. At Brian's behest. At, thank you. Yes, at Brian's behest. And I'm thinking, Brian, well, let's, you know, you pick any, he can pick any song I want from They have, oh, I don't know, 100 and some songs in there, maybe 200 songs. Uh, and we're not, you know, uh, trying to set up any battle here, but well, that to me is a Mike song, uh, Summertime, and it's okay. And the, the word, I mean, the, his word craftsmanship in that song. But as I listened to Brian in those moments and uh, hearing him say things like, well, talking with Jason, you know, I was a little shy. Uh, I'm hot. I'm nervous. Uh, when you get scared, what do you do? Do you take a deep breath? It just seems to juxtapose with the word peace and calm for me, where Brian was playing it not so much, I, I, what do I know, but I'm, my interpretation is he was playing it not so much like, let's have a summer song, you know, roll the windows down, let's, let's uh, you know, take a drive. And it's maybe just the title is what he's uh, grabbing onto that, hey, it's okay. Uh, maybe he feels safe. Maybe he you know, thinking of his nine years of prison with Landy kind of thing. Uh, maybe this is a sign that there is some uh, emotional peace in Brian's life. So that was 
a, a moment, if you will, for me too, that uh, maybe Brian's saying, um, it's okay. I'm doing okay. Well, I, I'm glad that Brian seems to like that song so much because I love that song. I might yeah, not have loved it so much upon first listen, but I, I think that it it has stood the test of time and you, you could put it alongside the earlier summertime classics. I mean, th there is a more adult perspective, I would say, to It's Okay, something a little bit more philosophical. You could actually tie it in with um, All Summer Long because it's it, there's this message that, you know, this isn't going to last forever. So enjoy, enjoy while it lasts is, is the lyric and it's okay. You know, so there, there is a little bit of like, Oh, that's good. Yes. Live, live for today kind of thing. And, and Brian has said, I remember reading a quote that he, he didn't like the song. He said, well, I like the bass, but something just didn't, <laughs> something didn't come out right with that song. I, I love it actually, you know, and, and I know Mike is very disappointed that it didn't become a, a greater hit and he blames the record company for, waiting until I think late August, essentially the end of summer to release that as a single probably should have been the leadoff single off 15 big ones, as opposed to rock and roll music. But then again, rock and roll music went to number five in the U S. So I guess it was a, a, a big hit. Um, getting back to long promise road. So yes, this, this gives the documentary its name. And it's interesting personally, when I first heard long promise road, to me, it was Brian's voice. I, I don't mean, I mean, I understood that Carl wrote the song, yeah. composed the song, Jack wrote the lyrics and Carl was singing it. But we're so used to, you know, the more personal songs being in Brian's voice, whether he's writing with Tony Asher or Mike Love or, or whoever it is, we, we feel it's a part of Brian's soul that he's sharing with us. And I, and I thought Carl magically took the, took it, took the handle from Brian and, and gave us insight into Brian. To me, it always seemed like it was the same kind of, I just wasn't made for these times, pet sounds kind of lyric, but in, in, in a new uh, environment, shall we say. So I, I always associated that song somewhat with Brian, just because we're so used to doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, I'm a pastor. And so I, I, I think in those terms often, and to me, it's the kind of song, like in a church context, uh, I would use before a sermon on, encouraging people to, to uh, uh, one of the scriptures is not to grow weary in doing good and not to give up in the hard times. And there was a spirituality to, to Carl. Uh, you know, he didn't uh, claim certain, didn't do religion, you know, certain religion stuff or preaching stuff, but he, you know, I, I, maybe he was writing uh to Brian and somewhat about Brian. I don't know. We're making this up, but uh, it it's become a much more powerful song for me. I'll just uh, add to that that um, you know, in my book, I interview Randy Bachman, who uh, wrote a couple of songs with Carl for the Keeping the Summer Alive album, and he said that Carl would pray before sessions. He would pray that that, that they would make some good music. Oh, that's so good to hear, because I have heard that uh, they talked about praying before the Pet Sounds album. And, uh, you know, music is God's voice. I think that was a Carl statement. So, again, we're not trying to do Sunday school here, but but that is that is uh, there in, in some of their DNA. And, uh, you know, I, I really resonate with that. But Brian uh, seems to have mixed feelings about the song, though, Long Promised Road, because there are a couple of moments in the movie where the song is being played and he he demands Jason Fine to stop yeah. the song, which was curious. I, I don't know whether it's because he specifically doesn't like that sort of hard rock and guitar, 
bridge or, 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 or maybe the song was just getting to him uh, emotionally. So yeah. I was surprised that, you know, this ended up being the title of the documentary. And one of the treats of this movie is at the end, we hear Brian and his band recording a new version of Long Promise Road with Blondie singing lead. And it sounds <laughs> yes. so good. It, like, they've got to release that. Yes. Uh, uh, just amen to that. I, I hope so. I hope we could hear the full version of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking it was maybe Long Promise Road takes him to a place he didn't want to go to in that moment. But, you know, we, we would never know. Uh, I'll just finish up with I, I would. How could you not end with Long Promised Road? Or as you mentioned, that new song. Well, there's a new song called Right Where I Belong that Brian has written for the documentary. So maybe that's a good uh, outro. Uh, and for me, uh, one that a lot of Beach Boy Brian Wilson fans don't even know about is Walking Down the Path of Life. And that is very much a song you could do in church. I mean, it's directed towards God. It's a prayer. Um, and to me, Walking That Long Promised Road walking down that path of life is very much a spiritual journey. So that's a lot of what I got from this uh, documentary, from uh, these many, uh, uh, the pantheon of rock uh, heroes, so to speak, that uh, they had quoted just some of their statements about Brian, the affirmation uh, just felt good as a, all of us think we're friends of Brian, but as a fan, fan of Brian uh, hearing him uh, lifted up in, in such a po positive way. So, yeah, there's a new song right where I belong. I, I think they said that uh, Jim James uh, from my morning jacket contributed lyrics to that. What, what did you think of that song? Uh, it, it was one of those moments for me where I tell my, I talk to myself and don't listen to what's happening. It's like, Oh, I'm hearing something that is brand new and I, I'm not going to be able to go back and hear it again, but it was over by the time I, I, I had enough sense to try to listen. Uh, did you pick anything up in terms of uh, style or sound? I thought it had a good sound. It had kind of this kind of dense kind of Baroque, if you want to call it, Brian Wilson sound to it. I thought the lyrics were a little bit too on the nose. Like sometimes I feel anxious. Like I, I think when sometimes yeah, when- yeah this might contradict what I said earlier, but I mean, sometimes when outside writers come in and, and try and be a little too autobiographical on Brian's behalf, I, I kind of cringe a little bit. So I, I wasn't crazy about the lyrics. The, the, the production of the song sounded pretty good. Yeah. Well, anything new from Brian, we're, uh, we're grateful for, and hopefully uh, it may, you know, maybe it's one of those songs that made, made, uh, made it okay for him. Just, you know, maybe it was an, it's okay kind of uh, experience for him and so be it if that's it. But I want to, I want a digital copy of Blondie saying long promise road. That's what I want. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It is so, it is so good that, uh, you know, it's too bad that the, the, the band is just, isn't just one band anymore uh, except for maybe a reunion time, but uh, it is giving us some things we may not have had had they stayed together as that one single unit. Uh, and Brian certainly is uh, the greatest of that. Well, we'll see what happens with the 60th anniversary coming up. There's uh, talk of, if not an all-out tour, perhaps uh, a TV special featuring the band reunited. Yeah. And the one thing I heard about TV special is, you know, they'd perform, of course, but maybe other artists would be brought in to either perform with them or maybe kind of like they did in that. Was it the 20th anniversary? Which seems, uh, well, it seems long ago because it was, but 
where they had diff, you know different people glenn campbell and oh the one in hawaii yeah 25th was it not? 25th okay yeah uh so maybe something like that who knows but there wasn't a lot of group harmony at that point. So they called it 25 years together. Not like, you know, 25 <laughs> years of harmony, 25 years together. That, that's, as, that's as far as we're going to go. <laughs> 25 years of road trips and recording studios. Who knows? Well, and, and anyway, I mean, if fans are not aware with uh, restrictions easing on, on the COVID front, uh, Mike Love is out touring with uh, yes. the Beach Boys and, and Brian Wilson has tours has a tour coming up with shows uh, in Europe and uh, and in California uh, a little bit later on. So th- there's plenty to look forward to um, with this documentary coming out. We don't have a, a release date yet, but uh, but hopefully we should get one soon. And of course, the Feel Flows box set, uh, which comes out July 30th, which, uh, which is very exciting. Uh, so what about the press conference uh, after the film? What, uh, what did you think of Brian? Because we have not seen Brian you know, because of no touring, we haven't seen him for a couple of years now. So this is our first glimpse of Brian. And and you could tell, you know, he has aged since this movie was made uh, several years ago. Um, I thought he seemed okay. He seemed in, in pretty good spirits. It looks like he lost some weight. What, uh, what were your thoughts on Brian? Yeah, I felt the same thing. And the way that, uh, you know, because we're all on, not we, we, they're, they're on screen, uh, looked like Brent Wilson was seated and Brian was kind of uh, halfway seated or maybe seated on a, like a, looked like it maybe a stool or something, but bent over looking into the screen. Uh, it just looked good. Um, and uh, he gave more than one word answers. I was surprised at the, and I got to be careful here, <laughs> but I was underwhelmed by the kinds of questions they were getting. I don't know what you thought. Uh, of course, they didn't pick either you or myself and we would have had great well that that was their big mistake right (laughs) but it was almost like teen beat magazine like so what do you like on your cob salad no that wasn't the question but it was pretty close i i I like the guy i don't know who he was who talked about how he uh, tripped out in 1974 seeing uh, the dead and the beach boys i thought that was very appropriate yeah uh, some good stuff (laughs) uh i'm being facetious but um it was funny. I, I, I don't know. It was, it was a funny press conference, Brian being Brian. And, and I don't know if he's sometimes trying to be funny or he's just being himself, but uh, you know, he would interrupt, like there'd be these answers being given by other people or questions being asked. And, and he'd go, Jason, what was the name of that sushi place we went to? He, he would interject every like couple of minutes and it all had to do with food. Like what, what did we eat at that deli? What was the name of that sushi place? You know, like he would just, that's, that seemed to be what was mostly on his mind. So I thought that was pretty hilarious. Oh, I've got to write that down. Another song for the uh, soundtrack, Vegetables. It's all about food. Well, yeah. but certainly not all about vegetables as far as Brian is concerned. <laughs> he, he, could, he could sing whatever song he wants, but that ain't the truth. <laughs> well, well said. Well, anyway, Phil, uh, it was great for, uh, for you to share your thoughts uh, on this film. And uh, as I said, we hope to have Brent Wilson on talking about uh, how, he, how he made this documentary and working with Brian. So that's, uh, that's something to look forward to along with. Yeah, great story. He gave yeah. us some glimpses into it. And uh, it would be great if he would come and kind of just let him uh, talk about it because uh, uh, great story. Yeah. So thanks, Phil. And uh, yeah. So uh, as, as I mentioned, there's a lot of exciting things happening in the Beach Boys world uh, this summer. And uh, 
here at Surf's Up, a Beach Boys podcast safari. We'll, uh, we'll break it all down for you. So please come back and we'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs>